The family with Tom Bernard and... Catherine Brandt. Doug Sprinthal. Andy Brandt-Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. We will come right back, kick off our two, a special guest up next with the family. Doug <laughs> I get a text from uh, the woman does our social media stuff. We've got a wellness expo happening right now until 3 o'clock up at Polar Chev. So if you're in the northern suburbs, White Bear, etc., this is kind of cool. So what the, it's a, a health, I can't even think. It's a health program that Walls are sponsoring to, it, it's a lot for the employees, but it's also open to the public. So it's a bunch of vendors that are focused on health and wellness. They've got free food. They've got prizes up there, 60-minute massages, a month free at Core Power Yoga, a whole bunch of stuff. It's at the Chevy store right on Highway 61. You can't miss it. It's the one with the big white bear right in front of it. Yeah, you really can't miss that one. You're absolutely right. They want us to take that you bear down. You cannot miss that bear. Who does? The city council in White Bear. Mm. Why we're they gonna, want to take the Well, we're going to do a remodel, and it's a, I don't know if it fits the image of the city, even though it's oh. a white bear in a place called White oh, Bear Lake. God. And it's been there for, I think Thane Hawkins put it up about 40 years ago. But anyway. Well, I was thinking, yeah, that thing's been there forever. Yeah, right? that's right. It's a, it's a local landmark. It is a local landmark. Tell them to get their head out of their ass. I think you just you did. You heard me. All right. Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. What's going on? My favorite album of all, one of them of all time. Mother, mother, too many of you crying. Marvin Gaye, ladies and gentlemen. Marvin Gaye and Tommy B. Belting it out together, Doug. What do you think? Um, well, one of them is a great singer. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Thank not you. anymore. was good, too. I thought he was a good singer. I don't know why you had to blast them like that. You know. I tell you, I, I, I think I've told you this before. I don't like it when people mess with the national anthem and do all that yodeling stuff. Yeah. yeah but yeah. if you ever get a chance, Google or go to YouTube and look up Marvin Gaye, 1983 NBA All-Star Game. He does the coolest version of the national anthem with just a, like a Dr. Rhythm beatbox that you've ever seen. It's just as smooth as a $20 martini. It's really cool. Is it as good as Bleeding Gums Murphy on The Simpsons? <laughs> well, unbelievably, he's even better than Bleeding Gums. <laughs> he is, really? I love that when he starts the national anthem. Oh, I said, uh, oh. <laughs> See, that's what I mean about yodeling the anthem. Yeah. We're not Switzerland. Yeah. Stop the yodeling. Just sing the damn tune. We got Wilfred it's on the phone. Uh, Wilf- Wilfred's ready to go. Wilfred Riley. The book is called Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. Wilfred, it's pretty interesting just watching the news. And, and uh, 
I don't know what to tell you about the situation in America right now. I look back because I, I grew up in, in the city and I grew up in a, in a mixed race neighborhood and I didn't have any problems with it whatsoever. But apparently we've all had horrendous problems forever and they're, they're only getting worse rather than better. And I don't really I don't believe that. I just don't believe it. What do you think? Will? Well, that's good because it's not. Well, yeah, it's good. It's good. You don't believe that because it's not true. Uh, so why did why, why do you hear it so much? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, as, as you mentioned, I wrote the book, Hate Crime Hoax, and the book has a pretty simple theme. Um, most of the sort of widely reported recent hate crimes that we've heard about in the media, whether you're talking about Jussie Smollett, who apparently paid uh, two Nigerian pro-bodybuilders to beat him up, uh, Covington Catholic a little before that, where the claim was that this group yeah. of kind of prep school athletes had surrounded this Native American Indian elder. They chanted, build the wall. They tried to take his people's sacred drum. Going back through Duke Lacrosse, uh, University of Virginia, where the claim is that the fraternities yeah. were running these anti-women rape rings. Uh, Kean College with the death threats, Wisconsin Parkside with the nooses. What I found doing research about a year or two ago, and what I break down in the book, is that all of those turned out to be completely false. And... They were fakes. They were hoaxes. And I think that ties into the question you asked, which is, is there a lot of ethnic conflict? And no, I'm from the south side of Chicago. I'm from Bridgeport, which is a black and Irish American sure. neighborhood. And the experience yep. that most people have in day-to-day -day life is there's not a massive amount of racial conflict. The USA is not an incredibly hate-filled country. So one of the things I look at is why there's such a disconnect between the reality most people experience, where 30% of marriages are mixed across racial or religious lines, and kind of the perception we see in the media, where there are black and white guys fighting in the street with sticks, and kids are being right. kidnapped, and sharks are attacking people. And the answer is that a lot of the stuff in the mainstream media is simply made up. Um, Many of the incidents involved, if you look at literally the 10 I hate hoaxes I just ran through, never happened. If they did happen, if you look at the Black Lives Matter cases, they are wildly exaggerated. The stories that we hear, hands up, don't shoot, really don't have much, if any, resemblance to what actually happened. And I think that in addition to the you know, rampant left-wing bias of the media, there's also a bias that's probably worse towards sensationalism. What yes. gets people clicking? Yes. What gets yes. people nervous? What gets people buying big trucks and Viagra pills? And that's not reality. <laughs> that's be, true. The answer would be country girls. You got a point there. Yeah. Wilfred, why do you think it is that people want to believe there's racial strife in America? Look, it's never been perfect, obviously. And, and 100 years ago, 150 years ago now, I guess it, it would be more than that. Um, it was horrible. But the rest of the world is still horrible. But we're, yeah, look, there's slavery existing everywhere in the world except for Canada, the United States of America, Western Europe, and Australia. Pretty much everywhere else, there still is slavery, but somehow the United States is the worst offender of all time. I don't, look, it should never have happened, don't get me wrong. But again, the Spanish brought the slaves to this area. The, the honkies didn't. I don't know. Look, I, I just don't understand why we have to hate ourselves the way we do. Why do we do that? Well, I think there I think there are two different things there. First of all, I, I don't know how many first world countries in Brazil, you know, still have slavery. But yeah, the USA, greatest country in the world. Uh, I do think that in, I, the reason I was comfortable with a partisan subtitle for my book, "How the Left Is Selling a Fake Race War," is mm -hmm. that I think there's a very conscious attempt to sell this narrative to regular Americans. So one of the lines I always use when I debate or when I do a TV appearance is, "In the USA, the demand for bigots greatly exceeds the supply." Um, if you actually, <laughs> if you actually line. ask people, would you, would you, thanks, if you actually ask people, would you date someone attractive of another race? Would you object to having normal middle-class neighbors that happen to be Mexican-American? Less than one in ten uh, whites, less than one in seven blacks or Asians tests as a racist. But the idea that there is massive racial conflict in the USA, if you look at it, is really the justifier for a huge chunk of society. Whether that's affirmative action programs, which have been in place mm -hmm, since 1967, right. minority set-asides, uh, some of the things the alt-right claims on the white side of the fence. But I think most prominently, right. the budgets for these very massive activist groups. 
So um, researching the book, I found out that the Southern Poverty Law Center's endowment, not their budget, just the amount that they specifically invest in the market that they have and hold is $432 million. Uh, I teach at a state university, and they have more money than my college. And that is one of a group of organizations ranging from the old school, quote unquote, civil rights groups, Al Sharpton's National Action Network, Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition, kind of doing the greatest hits here. But newer groups, Antifa, Occupy, Black Lives Matter, large fringe groups, Nation of Islam. What unifies all these groups and gets their leaders very much paid is the idea that the old wars never ended. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, In reality, I would agree with you that the old wars are over. I mean, when you say a lot of this happened 100 years ago, the USA desegregated around the time we beat Hitler, uh, 1945, 46, and 1954 for Brown v. Board of Education. So, yeah, I think that the reality most people perceive when they watch a baseball game, that everyone seems to be sort of out there together, that's pretty close to reality. There are a few things we have to work on, but the idea that there's a massive conflict is something that's being promoted by people that have a financial incentive in that. And I think I demonstrate that in the book, Hate Crime Hoax. No, I think you do, absolutely. But aren't you up against, I mean, okay, so no matter how many statistics you have proving that the mainstream media narrative is wrong, people still believe what they say, and they'll, they'll wrestle you to, you know, to, down to the mat to prove that it, it's right. So what do you do? Well, I mean, you can make some jokes like I actually was a wrestler in the past. I mean, fight, I guess. But um, (laughs) more seriously, I I do think there's an old line from Sammy Clemens, Mark Twain, um, where he said it's very tough to fight people that buy ink by the barrel. And he was referring to a lawsuit he was involved in with a newspaper. But I, I do think the media still has that power today. Um, So things that are absolutely not reality, like in 2015, the year Black Lives Matter began, the total number of unarmed African-Americans that were shot by police officers was 17. This frankly wasn't a story. Every single one of those cases was made into national news for political reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. It's worth noting, by the way, that there were more than a thousand people in total shot by cops. Seventy eight percent of them were white or whites or Caucasian Hispanics. And all those cases simply did not appear in the narrative. That's how a narrative is created. But I also think that a lot of people suspect that this isn't real. Uh, If you just look at the comment sections under any mainstream news story, you look at social media. I I think you guys in talk radio have done a good job at this. I mean, I think most Americans realize that a lot of things they're told. The country's at war. Racial conflict is everywhere. For that matter, sharks are attacking people are just BS. So when I published the book, the reaction was overwhelmingly positive. Um, oh, that's good. I mean, I teach, yeah, I teach at a primarily black institution, actually, but it's a fairly conservative right. Southern school. And the reaction from most of our executives here was like, well, yeah, I mean, I suspected that was true. The, the people involved in these cases don't seem to be, the phrase I often heard was brothers with jobs. They seem to be white kids with feathers in their hair. Like, we've been very skeptical of a lot of these cases. So I think that there's, people are massively receptive to the idea that what corporate media tells them is not true. And I think now with... Uh, Less traditional media, you're seeing more people go around that. For that matter, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders communicate with their fan bases primarily by Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they absolutely do. Uh, Wilfred, I will tell you something. I, I was uh, a very young teen boy when Martin Luther King Jr. said, do not judge okay. people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It struck home with me. It's my favorite saying of all time. I admired the hell out of Martin Luther King Jr., He's been one of my heroes, and that never comes up anymore. Nobody, not white people, not black people, nobody references Martin Luther King making that brilliant statement because there's no money in it, I guess. Well, I think that uh, white conservatives sometimes do. Um, I've heard that a fair amount from coaches when I was involved in athletics or from people in the business world. I I, I do think that, and I guess black conservatives as well. I mean, Tom Sowell idolizes Martin Luther King. I do think that on the activist left, again, because the justification for social programs that tend to benefit the activist left is the old wars never ended, if I could put that in a sentence. I do think you've seen a very strong attempt to redefine some of these ideas, like what racism is. So, I mean, if you ask the ordinary person on the street, what is racism, they would say, well, I guess that's hating someone of a different race. And that's pretty close to the technical definition, which is dislike based on the belief that another race is inferior. 
If you talk to an activist today, that's not what they mean by racism. What they mean is these sort of vague ideas like white privilege, which is the concept that by virtue of being white, you can't measure it, but you have some kind of advantage that I don't. Um, I've never really seen that lower any of my white buddies' bills checking out of a store or anything, but the idea is that it's there. You can't identify it, but whiteness need to be aware of it. Uh, there's cultural appropriation, which is the idea that, for example, as an upper-middle-class black guy, because I do Asian martial arts, I'm stealing something from another group of people. Right. Um, there's the idea of subtle prejudice, institutional prejudice. So if you're talking to someone about these issues of race, especially on the left, they don't generally mean that they're targeting those who hate members of other racial groups. And I think that's because so few people openly do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that will So I, basically, to, an, that, to answer the question, yeah, oh yeah, t completely, thank God for that. But I think to answer your question, because there's a bit of a ramble there at the end for me, that's why Dr. No, King no, isn't like referenced it. as much. The, the ancient enemy he fought is to some large extent gone. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I still, when a guy gives it, he knew he was going to get assassinated. He talked about it quite often, actually, toward yeah. the end of his life. And to ignore him now, yeah, uh, during his birthday and a couple other times, you know, April 4th, obviously coming up in two weeks, he'll be brought up because uh, on April 4th, uh, and even at, at that, you uh, two got the time of the day wrong. They said early morning, April 4th, and that's not when it happened. Mm. But, you know, put the song out anyway. But I just, why you don't use that thing? Do not judge me by the color of my skin, the content of my character. So in other words, I don't care what, what color your skin is. If you're a jerk, you're a jerk, and I want nothing to do with you. And if you're a good person, I really enjoy that. What's wrong with that? Well, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that the reason that Dr. King's idea of colorblindness is less often referenced these days is that to some extent it's been achieved. So people that yeah. are racial activists today aren't fighting for colorblindness because we already mostly have that. I mean, if you look at American history, uh, desegregation, although restrictive covenants and so on persisted a bit beyond this, but desegregation took place in 1954. Uh, the Civil Rights Act, which made racism criminally and civilly illegal. If you feel you're discriminated against, you don't need to pick up a sign. You can go down to court, file a serious lawsuit. That was 1965. Uh, Pro-minority affirmative action which did not hurt me when I was applying to law school. I mean, that's 1967. That's now 52 years ago, you know, a human lifetime. Mm -hmm. So the basic idea that you should not, whether you're a white man or a black man, be an open racial bigot, that's been achieved. That's the reason Dr. King is venerated. Um, but in general today, when people say, well, I'm an activist, what I'm fighting for is racial equality, what, they don't mean keeping the Civil Rights Act on the books or something like that. They mean, for example, reparations or affirmative action yeah, yeah. pretty much forever. They're referring to something very different, and that's why they don't cite King. Uh, their prophet would be more Malcolm X, I would say. <laughs> well, by the way, at the end of his life, uh, Malcolm X uh, kind of moved toward Martin Luther King Jr. anyway, and people don't seem to remember that either, but he did. So uh, I just want to bring something up to you. Well, actually, can you okay. hold off for a couple minutes, and can you come back for about five more minutes, or do you have to go? No, I can come back for another segment or to keep the conversation going, yeah. Yeah, because I just want to ask you a couple of questions. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes more with Wilfred Riley right after this with the family. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. 
If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Wilfred Riley is with us, professor of political science, Kentucky State. Um, Dr. Riley, i got to ask you a question. When you appear on most shows, like radio shows, uh, do people just assume you're a white guy? I don't know. Uh, It depends. I don't usually ask. I've rarely asked the host, hey, what color do you think I am? Um, I've sometimes been introduced. (laughs) I'm sometimes either on very liberal black shows or on far right conservative shows. I've been introduced as African American Professor Will Riley, just to give people kind of a baseline of what to expect. But uh, no, in general, I would suppose most people listening to me, I mean, a guy from Chicago named Will Riley or Will O'Reilly, they'd probably think I was a white guy, yeah. Mm, You're probably. Um, I don't know. Might depend on accident. Could depend on a bunch of things. Well, no. In my in my particular case, when I talk to people, because of the sound of my voice, some people think I'm black, but I'm actually white. And the reason mm-hmm. the reason I know that is because as I talk to people, some people are very very nice to me on the phone because they think I'm black, so they think they have to do that. Isn't that weird? That's I mean, a bit it's just strange. Odd. I mean. You, you can get that both ways. I've definitely, I've experienced on a few occasions increased hostility, doing things like drinking in small southern bars when I was in sales uh, because I was perceived as a minority guy. <laughs> right, I've also right. experienced kind of a weird over-politeness yeah. with kind of the mothers of girlfriends. That's what I'm talking about. Who wouldn't say, yep. yeah, who wouldn't say totally normal things like you better get her back home by 10 because they felt it might oppress <laughs> me. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it, it breaks out about evenly for me, I think. But yeah, my might background, have been I'm, uh, I'm Irish-American and African-American. Well, see, that's good. That all works on the end. Uh, yeah, I love the beard, by the way. You, you get away with that beard, huh? In, in, co- in high school, in uh, college, I mean? Well, in, as a college professor, Kate, I will say one thing, actually. Um, I am glad that I teach in one of the historically black colleges when you get, although yeah, most small yeah. southern colleges would be about the same in terms of this. But in terms of extraordinary political correctness, if every one of our executives is a preppy black guy, we don't have to pretend to be incredibly <laughs> woke or incredibly offended all the time. So, um I think, if anything, we're more conservative here, actually. That's, that's something that ties into the fact that I could write the book, still get tenure, there were no problems. Um, but in terms of the beard, college professors in general are given a lot of leeway. They're not the most fashionable group on the planet. Um, my job before college, actually, I was a sales director for M. Evans, which is one of the sort of standard boiler room trading floors in Chicago's LaSalle Street District. And there, I mean, everyone had to wear a you know, suit to work every day. Three-piece was preferred. So I, I've still got most of my clothes, so I can, I can dress up pretty well. But I've, I've grown the beard. I've even braided it for some local TV appearances. So you never know. <laughs> uh, I, you're unbelievable, I'll tell you. i got to ask you a never, question. never know what you get. You're a pretty broad-shouldered sure. guy. You're, are you as big as you look? Uh, I just saw a, a, a bit of film on you on, on with uh, Tucker Carlson. Tom, you Tom, look like a Tom, pretty, yeah. breaking news. We beat Louisville, eighty six, seventy six. Sorry, eighty six. Don't bring that up. Kentucky State, Kentucky State's close enough to Louisville, you know. Yeah, Minnesota's playing Louisville in the uh, NCAA tournament. Minnesota just beat them, eighty six, seventy six. So that's that's good news. Thank you. 
But in any case, Dr. Riley, I, I just think the whole thing is fascinating because the reason that I, I wanted to have you back for another segment, and I appreciate your time, sure, sure. is that you, you don't jump out there and go, oh, well, I've been victimized and I'm this and, and, and I, you know, I'm Irish or I'm black or I'm a, you don't say any of those things. You just you, you take Wilfred Riley on his face. You know what I mean? It's just you are who you are. And unless you do some research, I, nobody would ever know you're black uh, or white. They wouldn't. They would have no idea. I think that's a great position to take because it really doesn't to me. Because of where I grew up in the inner city, it doesn't matter to me. You know what I mean? I don't care. Yeah, I, I, I basically agree with that. I grew up in a large urban neighborhood myself. Well, this this again gets back into a lot of these issues of quote unquote white privilege and so on down the line. I guess my starting position would be that I don't see anyone in America in 2018 as oppressed. Um, at no, all. I think that's no. a ridiculous idea. I've actually done, I've never a military guy, but I've done uh, overseas kind of human service, like American field service. And if you go to Guatemala or you go to Senegal or some of the other places in the world, you become extremely happy with what you have when you get back home to your, you know, TV yes. and outdoor hoop and refrigerator that works. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah. But I actually, I did a study once. This is one of my conference papers. It was never one of the things I published as a big book, but I was genuinely curious. I'm a fairly good social scientist. So I asked a group of about 2,000 people a series of questions about privilege. And this ranged from, have you ever been beaten up by more than two people? Which, in fact, I have. And I suspect the urban people on the other side of the mic might have as well. But you two, do you know what right. frequent flyer miles are? But have you, have you been drunk? Do you know what frequent flyer miles are? Did you have a car in high school? So I, I had a hundred of these questions, and I asked a bunch of people of all races and ethnicities and so on what, to take this survey to score it. And I tried to measure what gives you privilege. And I found that if you take two identical guys, one white guy, one black guy, the white guy did on average score uh, about two points better, two points more privileged on the survey. But I also found that about 80% of privilege was just social class. Yeah. So if you were a white kid from Appalachia or from South Boston, I mean, I did this online, so I had quite a pool of people, um, your score might be a 20. Whereas if you were a black kid from an affluent Chicago suburb, your score would be a 70. You would say, yeah, I did have a car in high school. I have had an internship. You would go through this list of things. So in general, I don't tend to think that black people as a group or Asians or Jews certainly as a group are dramatically more disadvantaged than white people. I think you have to judge each person as an individual. So yep. the Irish and Italian inner city neighborhoods, for whatever reason, um, it kind of cleared out. A lot of those people moved to the south, actually. So right now, if you look at the hood in major cities, that is mostly African-American, although now uh, somewhat Hispanic as well. So if someone says, well, I'm a guy that grew up in Cabrini-Green, that might well indicate, that might well be a proxy for I've had a tough life. But if you just say, I'm a minority person, well, that's 30% of the country. That doesn't really mean much of anything. So I don't, I don't yeah. tend to lead with, well, I'm brown, as opposed to, this is the book I wrote. What do you think of it? No, I think right. it's a great idea. You don't even, you don't even uh, uh, on the information I got, you don't even mention you're a doctor. I, I generally don't introduce impressive. myself to people. and Yeah, I mean, if I'm playing golf or basketball, I'm going out for a beer. I generally don't introduce myself to people as, you know, Dr. Wilfred Riley Esquire. <laughs> I've got, got a few that, titles, that would actually. explain why you've been beat up by more than one person <laughs> that like, that, that's what I do every time I meet someone um, I think it's wonderful but, I really do I, just, I have a question people being if, normal if, if, and if, getting along you mean or yeah, 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 I love it. It's do you, wonderful. Do you do speeches around the country at at, uh, at different universities and colleges? It looks like I'm going to. I mean, that's that's become one of the sort of hot things for Good. the center right speakers. Uh, ben Shapiro, Heather McDonald. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. a lot of people have uh, taken that route. I'm probably going to start in Kentucky. And again, I don't think speaking in Kentucky, there are going to be any interesting riots or anything like that. I think the audience will mostly you know, <laughs> listen and applaud. But you, you, there definitely is an entertainment factor if you get booked at, in Berkeley or even some of the schools I'd be asked to, Illinois, University of Illinois, Chicago. Personally, I would be very tempted just to round up a bunch of friends from either my old neighborhood or you know local police and security forces and just move through the crowd and give the speech. 
I think there's there's been a lot of respect <laughs> given to there's been a lot of respect given to the heckler's veto on these campuses that I completely disagree with. Where you know, there'll be a chanting crowd surrounding the place where the speaker's supposed yep. to talk and so on. And it strikes me right. that either the speaker's friends or the cops could really disperse that group of twenty pretty easily. But uh, I mean, obviously, there's some legal restrictions on doing that. You want to run that by an attorney first. But I do hope to do a do hope to do a little a mini college tour. I'm, I just would think that, like, if you tried to go talk uh, at the University of Minnesota, for instance, about your book, I think there'd be just, I, I, I think they'd freak out. Oh, I don't God, even know. Yes. They oh, would yeah. just flip out because you're, you're not agreeing with the narrative, and it's just, it, really? it, it, it's hard for them to just grasp that there can, oh, oh God, Minnesota's yeah, way that there the might night. be another way of looking at things. It's just not possible. I don't think. Minnesota is interesting in that our cities are. As liberal as you can get in the United States, whereas the oh, country yeah. is basically as conservative as you can get in the United States. So yeah, it's true. It, it really depends on where you go. It's a it's a different kind yeah, of think, deal. I'll tell you that. I think that's a split. Actually, that's one of the reasons that the country has become so polarized. I think if you want to talk practically and move away from black, white, or regional mm-hmm. affiliations or something like that, in almost every state. What you've seen is a movement of people into the inner suburbs around big cities or away from the city altogether into the country. So in Illinois, I mean, our population is, uh, I think, 12 to 14 million, but about almost exactly 7 million of that is in Chicago and the surrounding collar counties, which, again, are deep blue, uh, liberal to radical. The other 7 million live, in many cases, as far away from Chicago as possible. One of our population centers is deep southern Illinois. And that is bright red, very conservative. There aren't necessarily huge racial differences between these areas, but they're huge political differences. And I think that Mm -hmm. combined with social media contributes to a lot of people rarely seeing someone they really disagree with and having to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. So that's problematic. I mean, that's the. Go on. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Thanks. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's terrific. I think you, as you go along, how, how long ago did you put out Hate Crime Hoax? How, how long has it been out? Uh, about a month. I've been, I'm very glad to be on the show, but I've been doing a fair amount of bluntly media plugging of the book. Uh, the book dropped with Regnery mm-hmm. uh, February 26th. And I had, yeah, you know, you never want to cheer another man's misfortune, but I had the remarkable luck of having the Jussie Smollett case collapse uh, the day before the book came out. Uh, and here, and here I, just, I just thought you were a fast writer. <laughs> I actually planned the whole thing. You're not Nigerian. You don't sound Nigerian. Yeah. <laughs> I do. But, I mean, I've actually you, you gotten. Go ahead, go on, sorry. Okay, no, I've no, actually gotten. Um, I've gotten that question kind of a lot. Like, were you responsible for the uh, Jussie Smollett attack? <laughs> I'm actually, as I've mentioned, I'm from Chicago. Uh, people joke about my old neighborhood having uh, sort of urban mob affiliations, although it doesn't anymore. Um, I wrote a book on this topic. I, when I was a trader, I lived very near to where Smollett was attacked, which is sort of the young professional area in Chicago's Streeterville South. And when yeah. the Jussie Smollett thing happened and then it collapsed, I got at least 50 or 60 joking emails like, were you responsible for this? I just bought your book. Did you write this before the Jussie Smollett case happened? And the, the answer is yes, because this has been happening for years. I mean, this goes back to Tawana Brawley. But it, it was a bit yeah, of a launching yeah. pad. I mean, I've done a, done a bunch of shows, uh, was able to get on Tucker Carlson on Fox. We almost booked yeah, Bill Maher, yeah. but uh, apparently they said no. Bill, well, yeah, Bill. You know, Bill knows more about black people than you do, apparently. Just ask him. Yeah, Bill, stay, <laughs> Bill stays woke. Yes. Yeah, he's Bill Maher actually is one of those. He's kind of one of those woke white guys. Like I remember, he referred to himself as a quote unquote house N word. Yeah. I'll stick with the national yes, protocol of you know never saying the hated thing, but because he only voted for Democrats or something like that. So I mean, you run into that a lot in urban culture. Uh, very often, you'll encounter large yeah. groups of white liberals who think that the way to help working class black communities is to do crazy stuff um 
there's a, there's an argument in Chicago right now about whether it's racist to demand ID to vote and do other things. Yeah. And most of the people arguing that black people can't manage to get a driver's license happen to be white guys. I don't know a single <laughs> black or Asian guy in the business world that doesn't have, I mean, an identification of some kind, a fishing license. I mean, come on. So it's, uh, there's a lot of that. I think Mars part of that. But at any rate, it would have been interesting to get the booking. That, that never happened. But uh, Tucker did. Yeah. And hopefully that will continue yeah. for a while. So the book's only been out for a month. I tell you something, uh, Dr. Riley, you need to, to get on the national stage and stay on the national stage because everybody else is just terrified to talk about the things you talk about. It takes bravery. I don't care, you know, Irish, sure. black, whatever the situation is. You're showing some fortitude here and some strength, and I really appreciate it. I, I, like I said, when you and I first Thank talking, you. you didn't know if I was black, and I didn't know if you were white. I had no idea. And I love the fact that I had no idea because it didn't matter. I love that. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you, I do. You I think actually, that, oh, I'd be very glad to come back with you. I, I en- I've enjoyed the conversation. I enjoy. I also enjoy publicity. I am, you know, not a not a perfect <laughs> man. Very very narcissistic. But I mean, uh, one thing in terms of that last line you hit on, I think that's a very important point. Just with us as a group of taxpayers talking. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what someone is to some extent. I mean, Miss Black America should probably be a black woman. But in right. terms of how valid someone's argument is, well, you never know. Uh, Rachel Dolezal once apparently entered that contest. But in terms of what someone's argument is, it's complete BS to say, well, as a black man, um, yeah. You know, as an Italian-American, as, as a white man with green eyes, I would even flip this to the right, too, where people are discussing things like tax policy, and they say, well, I'm a Christian, and my, my response would be, me, too. There are very few Hindus in my state at this time. That doesn't necessarily affect how I feel about this financial issue as a you know, former markets guy. So whenever someone begins an argument by saying, well, as, you know, a black, evangelical, green-eyed man, I feel... What you should just do is scrape that language away, because it doesn't matter that you're a black, evangelical, green-eyed man. What matters is how logical what you're about to say is. If what someone says is nonsense and they happen to be a member of a minority group, there's nothing more racist you can do than patronize them by patting them on the back and saying, oh, that's so great, little brother. And I think a lot of people, especially on the left, do that. Oh, they sure do. You got to come back all the time. I, wait, you might have to become a permanent member of this show because this, <laughs> nobody has this, the, the, the courage you have. I love your courage. Did that come from your mother and father? Who'd that come from? I mean, uh, probably genetically. Um, I don't know. I don't actually feel. I will say, and obviously, you know, like I said, the the show is great. It's, I'm enjoying the conversation, but I don't know that. Friendly banter aside, I don't know that I'm especially brave. I think that we've entered a weird place where the Overton window has moved to the point where you can't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And that's that's not just bluntly if you're a white guy. I mean, as a black guy, I have a little luxury to talk about race. But, I mean, there are a lot of things, like the question of how many sexes there are, that would strike most yes. people as just really commonsensical questions that you're not supposed to discuss at all. Uh, basically, I will say, I mean, I made a decent amount of money in my job before I uh, came to KSU, and land is cheap around here, so I'm not really all that worried. Um, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's it. I don't think there's any remarkable courage to saying things that most people agree with when you're in a relatively secure position, but I'm definitely going to use that luxury. It's very irritating to see the emperor walking around with no clothes on. So... Mm-hmm. If people say things that are obvious nonsense, if possible, and I'm in a fairly stable position, I mean, you know how tenure works, presumably. If possible, if someone says something that's crazy and you can countermand that, I think as a citizen you generally should. So I'm trying to. You're a good man, Dr. Wilfred Riley. The book is called Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. Yeah, I want to I stay in touch with you. I also do a morning talk show on the radio in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and I'd love to have you on that show because you, uh, man, you, we need you. I'm just telling you, we need you. <laughs> yeah, anytime you get me, interested I mean in anything the like world. that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you guys, uh, you both you and your booker, I think, have my personal cell. So, yeah, anytime there's an interest, just uh, just give me a call. We'll have a conversation and then see if I can uh, I can make that date. 
Yeah, and then, you know, sell some books would be good, too, even though, you know, you made a lot of dough and you're sitting around in your cheap land. That would be a good thing, man. I, I really I appreciate your time. I don't have a cheap land yet. Well, you don't. Okay, well, it's right around the corner. <laughs> well, you, you'll get that taken care of. Dr. Riley, thanks for your time, and we'll talk soon, sir. Thank you for yours. Thanks a lot. Thanks. We'll Bye. be back with the family. Tom Bernard here. Hey, let me ask you, do you know me because you recognize my voice or my face? Good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another one. What do you think when I say priority courier experts? Do you know them because you recognize their trucks or do you know them by their name? Well, let me tell you something you might not know about my friends at priority. 485 local drivers, 85 office staff, 37 million deliveries since 1997, and an opportunity for you to join their company. Drivers, you can join the fleet in your own vehicle or lease to own one of theirs. Or you can join the office staff and earn the most respectable pay in the business with 15 days off in your first year. Medical, dental, matching 401k, and a genuine chance for advancement. Just ask Samantha, who started as a customer service rep and is now operations manager. Over 5,000 Minnesota companies rely on priority because every time you call us, we deliver. Join the team today at Priority.com. That's Priority.com. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, this 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we can move this part four minutes back, right? Yep. The introduction, all and then a break and everything. So we have about 11 minutes here. Is that correct, Cassie? Yep. I absolutely love that conversation because he didn't jump in and tell us he was a doctor. He didn't mention his race. He didn't mention anything. Uh, just the the uh, the title of his book, I'm sure, stirs the pot mm-hmm. enough for most people. Wilfred Riley is a very impressive person because he didn't he didn't use any crutches. He didn't go, well, I, I, let me qualify that. He didn't do any of that. He just said, this is what I think. I, I really, really enjoyed that a well, lot. I just, really did. It was just fascinating to me because, I mean, you've everybody's seen these news stories where there's people that are just like, they're murdering us in the streets. They think that they're if you walk down the street, yeah. if you're a particular color, that you're just going to be shot by cops. And that's all the cops want to do, and that's all the cops do. You know, and, and they just keep you know. perpetuating this. And... Yeah, it's scary to say, if you say that you don't believe that that's something that happens, then you're, you know, you're mm-hmm. a racist or you're, you're, you're stupid or whatever. You know, I, you know what I like? It takes a lot of courage to come out and say stuff that he's saying. It does. I think so, yeah. My favorite part is that Tom likes a college professor. I know. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He's a college professor and I really like the guy. What does that tell you? I, I, I do. I just love the fact that he just lays it out there and said, hey, you know, because the, the, this whole, you know, hate crime, hate everybody, you know, the race, hatred and all that stuff. There is far too much money to be made. There are far too many votes to be gotten. What we're doing. And I, I, I the next conversation I have with Dr. Riley, I would like to ask him um, this whole thing, all of this is aimed at people with a very low IQ, I would assume. And most people cannot think beyond the level of a, se- of a 12-year-old. So is that who they're going after, you think? And look, that's not a negative statement. That's just a fact. Well, Doug, you're a marketing person. If you tell well, somebody, I, what, how many times is it? There's some sort of Oh, yeah, number. there's some what? rule that it has to be seven times yeah, before if, it sticks in your, yeah. in before, your yeah. cranium. And, right, and if you look at the news, oh, I God. mean, in one day, you'll probably get the message that they're trying to put across about a thousand times. Mm-hmm. You know, so oh, somebody, yeah, yeah. I, I know you guys hate them and probably with with just cause, but if you ever watch Bowling for Columbine all the way through to the end, it was like Rod, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Moore's second most famous movie behind Roger and me. Right. What right. he does is it's really interesting. He goes into Canada and he compares 
the demographics and all the sort of stuff of Canada versus the U.S. And it turns out Canada is actually more racially diverse than the U.S. It's about the same amount of gun ownership, blah, 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 all these statistics that we think leads to, uh, you know, a high gun uh, death rate in the country. And it turns out they're about the same, although they have far less crime. And Michael Moore, of all people, guess who he blames for it? The media. Bl he blames. Mm. He, Does he really? Yeah, the media I'm and fear mongering. That. That, that's how he wraps up the movie. It's actually pretty interesting. I mean, it's I very like it. slanted, and it's got that classic Michael Moore interview technique where he just sticks a microphone in somebody's face and doesn't say anything, and the person just falls all over themselves and looks like an idiot. I mean, that's in there, but yeah. the conclusions that he drew at the end of that movie, I was surprised that it came from him, and it also makes a lot of sense. I would. The only where he lost me was when he said Cuba has much better health care than the United States. Like, what? Why do you say things like that? It's idiotic. Uh, it has more health care, but that doesn't mean it's better. What do you mean? Well, more healthcare? one of Cuba's exports is doctors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. they don't want to live there. Well, they can I make a lot Cuba more money by coming place. here. Yes. Yes. Well, no, no, not just here. They 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 actually they actually trade doctors. Yeah, to Cuba's other countries. per yeah, capita yeah. the most doctors in the world. Is that right? I didn't know yeah. that. Yep. Per capita, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, that capita. was shocking to me mm. too. But I mean, I think that their education system is is good. It's just the problem is that if you if you go off topic even a tiny mm -hmm. bit, God only knows what'll happen to you. Well, you they, they could use some industry and some money too. That'd be That's good. the biggest. Yeah, they, they could. certainly could. They could. I, I, I want to read a story that Catherine pointed out to me here, and it's just, uh, you know how they always put tag words up that if, you, if you're looking for this story, you, you look, you, you know, use these tag words, you could probably find it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Let me re read this to you. Uh, you get to, you know, start at the A's, you know, A, B, so it's abortion, then there's alliance, defending freedom, and, you know, move on. You get down to T's, and it says transgender, transgenderism, Trump. <laughs> like, Sounds about right. It's kind of casting a wide net right there, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. a really wide net, isn't it? But yeah, I, I was very impressed with him. I, I I really wish that people wouldn't sell hate. I know you make a lot of money selling hatred, but I really wish you wouldn't do that and find a decent job. Well, and that's why having conversations with people like him are so important because people have to start having conversations. Yeah. And people have to start yep. demanding that these news outlets stop. So doing if, if what you, they're doing. I think you're exactly right, Catherine. And if you think about what Michael Moore is saying, it's really the same thing. So, you know, mass media suffers from the Internet just like every other business. There's so much uh, out there that they need to get the listener's attention or the viewer's attention in order to sell advertising so they can make it a viable business. Unfortunately, right. because it's so noisy out there, the only way they can attract our attention is by you know, writing up these super sensational stories. That's my theory. I, get, I well, guarantee you being in the business. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I know a lot, a lot of people that, that would have said, I don't watch the news anymore. No, I just I, stopped I watching it or I watch it once a week. I used to watch it every night and it was just too irritating. I can't do it. I just don't watch the news anymore. And not, not so much local news because local news doesn't delve into it nearly as much as the national news does. But national news... Um, viewership is down. It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I, it doesn't surprise me that it is down either. Uh, who can stand it? Honest to God, it's like, really, would you calm down, well, all not, of you? Yeah, it's not like you have to be intelligent to see the no. fear mongering going on on these stations. All right, here's the uh, story that Catherine pointed out to me. I just want to run this down. And uh, I, but, but I seriously, thanks again to Dr. Wilfred Riley. What a hell of a guest. I guarantee you. That he's going to go on a talk show, maybe probably on Doug's favorite station, NPR. Well, and I love NPR, the fact that the... Uh, um, <clears throat> I know the, that woman thought yeah, <laughs> that, that <laughs> this was public radio. Yeah. And I didn't even talk like this. So, Stephanie, what actually happened with your husband? I believe it was Egypt. Maybe, maybe she <laughs> told, her, uh, told her agent that she only wanted to be on public radio. And here she, well, she accidentally was got on our show. She was terrific. I, I thought she was wonderful. I guarantee you that eventually a radio host will call him a racist because oh, they don't yeah. know he's black. I'm sure. I guarantee it'll happen. Guaranteed. Oh, that's happened before. It's happened before on news Oh, oh absolutely. It just yeah. happened to a guy. God, I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah. Uh, but, he, but she said, well, you know, you have white privilege. And he goes, 
I'm, I'm sorry, black. but I'm black. <laughs> yeah, that was a great story. <laughs> I, I remember that. That was a great yeah. story, wasn't it? As she accused him of having white privilege, because she was black, but she didn't know he was, too. Uh, a, a lawsuit has been filed against a recently signed California law that inflicts fines and or jail time. Okay, you ready? Fines and or jail time on employees who misgender a patient with a senior care facility. Do you even know what that means? Yes. No. What does it mean to misgender someone? It means if I am if I am a woman and I've transitioned to a man. Yeah. You, if you call me, she. Yeah. That that's misgendering. But how would you not? What do I got to check your crotch every time I talk to somebody new now? I'm guessing the I mean, answer is no. That makes no sense to me. I <laughs> <laughs> hope so. I, I just, Jude, stop that. Jude has lost his mind. He thinks it's time to go, and I guess he's probably right. But no, I, I, I because I don't know your gender, should I just go, well, what should I say then? I just don't think you use she or he. What do you use instead? Hey, you. Hey, you. <laughs> How you feeling? <laughs> I was introduced How are we by, today? The royal we. Uh, intru- oh, no, no, no. This can't be a true story. I'm sorry. This is going to... Oh, people are going to get pissed off at me for this. I did not invent this. This is a real story from CaliforniaFamily.org. Good news, law penalizing, misgendering with hefty fine. Uh, you know who introduced the bill? Now, this is a misgendering problem. Mm, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Ready? Uh, nope. Okay. State Senator Scott Weiner. Why did it have to be Scott Weiner? So there's two? I wonder if he's related. I know. I wonder if he is related. I'm like, what? He's a Democrat from San Francisco. Of course. Sponsored uh, by uh, Equality California. It penalizes senior health care workers who misgender any patients identified as transgender. But how would you know they're identifying as transgender? How would you know that? Maybe you have to do that on intake forms now. Well, Jesus. I'm sure. So I have to know everything about you, even though I just met you. That makes no sense to me. How would I, I really highly doubt that anyone would do that on purpose anyway, would they? Well, like when um, Alex's friend transitioned, yeah. I had known him as a male for 20-some mm-hmm. odd years. Right. So after he transitioned, I st- see, he... Well, he did transition. I and know, but a woman. still, that could be offensive. No, he trans he, he transitioned. Tom, and I'm he sure. She. I'm sure in the past you've misgendered people before. In fact, I, I would bet a million dollars on it. Misgender? What do you mean misgendered? By calling somebody by the wrong gender. You think so? How many times have you played golf and turned to one of your friends who missed a one foot putt and says, "Does your husband play golf?" <laughs> Oh, well, that, yeah, see, there you go. Well, I get a million bucks. Marry men now. I'm out of here. Men can marry men now, so that's not misgendering, pal. Oh, jeez. Darn it. That's twice today. <laughs> that's twice today. You just today, can't win. I know. <laughs> no, it's not I, my, I, it's I, not I, my year. <clears throat> I know day. three people that have transitioned. All three of them were men to women. Do I do I care? No. Does it make them happy? I'm happy for them. If yeah. it makes you happy, I'm but, happy for you. But it also makes sense that since you've known somebody for many, many years as one gender, that you might accidentally say he. I still call Lauren Cliff once in a while because I'm so used to 35 exactly. years of calling him Cliff. And, it, and it's not like an intentional no, disrespect. not at all. Although I do disrespect Lauren and Cliff, both sides. <laughs> I just want to throw that out right. there, but... I just. Oh, we were only going to do eleven minutes. So I know we got to we got to get cooking here, but Doug and his deal. Yeah, car we're loaded for secrets. bear. All right, man. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with car selling secrets and Doug Sprinthal right after this.